Forecasting the weather can be quite challenging. In Colorado, for example, weather can change so quickly and so drastically that we once heard a, my wife and I once heard a TV forecaster actually say these words, today, go to your front door and look out. Whatever it's doing, that's your forecast. (laughs) We found that he was actually quite accurate. I also found this weather forecaster online. It's called John's Weather Forecasting Stone. Stone is wet, rain. Stone is dry, not raining. Shadow on ground, sunny. White on top, snowing. Can't see stone, foggy. Swinging stone, windy. Stone jumping up and down, earthquake. Stone gone, tornado. (laughs) Weather forecasting can indeed be quite challenging. There's another kind of forecasting called prophecy that can be just as challenging even as we try to read uh, the signs. Uh, Consider, uh, for example, the fact that there were plenty of very um, clear signs to accompany the first coming of Jesus. Uh, Anyone looking uh, for the Messiah should have seen the signs. Many of them, for example, were Old Testament prophecies which were completely, precisely, and decisively Uh, fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Things like he would be born of the line of David. He would be born of a virgin. That doesn't happen every day. He would be born in Bethlehem. You know, from the womb, you can't orchestrate those events. I told you some time ago the the statistical probability that Jesus would fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. I've always heard there are about 300 of them. All those Old Testament prophecies concerning his first coming was equivalent to taking a bunch, and I do mean a bunch of silver dollars, and covering the state of Texas with them two feet deep. On one of those silver dollars, you place a red X. Then you blindfold someone, have them wander aimlessly through the state of Texas, and bend over to randomly pick up one silver dollar. The statistical probability that he or she would select the marked coin is the same probability that Jesus of Nazareth would fulfill all of those Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. That's amazing. There could be no denying it. it. It was he. He met the Old Testament signs. But all of those things happened and few knew. Many missed the signs. Most didn't care. There were other signs. There was that angelic chorus, the host of heaven that declared his birth. True, only uh, they only appeared to a few lowly shepherds in a field who were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And after those shepherds saw the child lying in a manger, just as the angelic messenger had said, they, they ran to tell everybody what they had seen and heard. Interestingly, While we're told that those who heard the story wondered, there is no evidence that any went to see for themselves. The Messiah? Here? Really? Right here in Bethlehem. Wow. Amazing. I'd love to go see, but I don't want to miss my Seinfeld rerun. They missed the sign. In addition to the prophecies, there, were, there was a cosmic display, a sign in the sky, a, a star that, that appeared in the east. Of course, you had to be looking for it or you would miss it. 
some magi from the east saw it. They traveled hundreds of miles, perhaps from Babylon, maybe Persia, following the star. They came to Jerusalem to inquire, listen, to inquire of the Jewish scholars where the king of the Jews, the awaited Messiah, was to be born. We've seen his star in the east. In Bethlehem, they were told. And so they followed the star, and it indeed led them to Bethlehem, to the very place where the child lay. Now, I don't know what that was, but that was an amazing sign. But again, there is no evidence that anyone uh, outside the Magi, and well, Herod, who tried to kill the child, uh, there's no evidence that anyone paid attention to that sign. They, of all people, should have been looking for it. But, but when it came, they, well, they missed it. So many other signs. There, there was the forerunner spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was that forerunner just like Isaiah said, and some listen, most missed. Then, of course, there were all the signs that Jesus performed while he walked on, on the earth. In, in fulfillment, for example, of Isaiah 61 and other passages, he, he healed the sick, he cleansed the lepers, he made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, he raised the dead, calmed storms, multiplied loaves and fish to, to feed thousands. <laughs> no one ever really tried to deny his miracles. They were undeniable, you see. They could see them with their own eyes. We just deny them today. And then there was the crucifixion and resurrection and fulfillment of Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before the Persians invented crucifixion, uh, Psalm 22, Zechariah 12. There was the, the resurrection, which Paul declares was the sign of all signs. By it, Romans 1 says, he was declared to be the Son of God with power. That was the sign, but <laughs> everyone just wants to deny it or ex explain it away then and today, even though he appeared to hundreds of witnesses. And so they'll continue to miss them. They continue to ignore the undeniable evidence and the road signs along the way. To, to include this one, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, when will these things be, that is the destruction of the temple, uh, that, that Jesus amazing, amazingly prophesies, and, and then from Matthew's account, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And we remember that they thought that these were all just one event. When the temple was destroyed, uh, not one stone left standing upon another, that would certainly signal the, the coming of Christ, the end of the age. So, so Jesus gave them an answer. It's called, the, it's called the Olivet Discourse, which stretches all the way through Mark chapter 13. We've been in it for weeks now, I know. And he, he starts by, by giving them a list of events uh, which will point to the coming destruction, and frankly, I think the coming of Christ that will cause his followers to long for his coming. Road signs, if you will, that happen throughout the church age from his ascension to his return, but they don't necessarily portend the end. We've seen that. Jesus said there will be false Christs uh, who will arise and mislead many. You'll, you'll be hearing of, of wars, rumors of wars, and nations rising against nations, kingdoms against kingdom, there will be natural disasters uh, to cause you to long for Christ, famines, earthquakes. Luke even adds plagues and pestilences. Despite all of our advances in, in physical, med agricultural, and medical technology, there doesn't seem to be anything that we can do about, about those things. 
And so, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and deliver us from the mess that we have made of your creation. Not only that, Jesus says, you need to understand, you're going to be handed over to tribulation and and, and to persecution. You're going to be hated by all nations, even by family members, simply because you choose to follow me. And we're supposed to say, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. Oh Lord, come. That's the purpose of those events that Jesus calls birth pangs. Painful, yes, but reminding us of something better, someone is coming. It just causes me to stop and, and think for just a moment. We've been talking about this for weeks now. Have you given thought to the return of Christ a little more in the last few weeks, I, 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 hope, I hope so. It's not all. Verses 14 to 23 that we looked at last week, Jesus describes what he called the abomination of desolation, a, a, a tribulation event that is so severe that one like it has not occurred since the beginning of time n- nor uh, till now. Now, we saw last week, he was likely talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD, and, and, and it happened just like Jesus said it would. The abomination, if you want to know what that was, listen to last week's sermon, the abomination was the, was the sign of the destruction. Does it also point to the coming of Christ, causing us to long for the return of Christ? In other words, will it happen again, as some want to suggest, we'll have We'll have to wait and see, perhaps, but but, but don't miss that he prophesied this particular event 40 years before it happened. That's amazing. 40 years before the destruction, he said it would happen within a generation, and it did. Most miss the sign. (laughs) You mean Jesus prophesied the temple? Uh, would be destroyed before it happened, yes, within a generation, and it did. Lucky guess, right. Just, just keep dismissing it. Now, remember, the disciples actually asked two questions, one about the destruction, one about his coming. Now, none of the things he's talked about so far are de- definitively the sign that will signal his return, his coming in full Display. Remember, the end is not yet. These are merely the beginning of birth pains. And yet, through the centuries, people have looked at these signs, false cries, wars, famines, earthquakes, and said, Jesus' coming must be right around the corner. And we've learned that His coming has always been right around the corner. As His followers, we are to long for the coming of Christ. We're always supposed to be prepared, which, by the way, is the purpose of this discourse, to be ready. Because the good news is this, Jesus is coming back. Despite all of the faulty end times prognostications, all of the predictions, all of the wrong guesses, this is a non-negotiable truth of the Christian faith, Jesus is coming back. And today, I'm going to tell you when. After weeks of study, pouring over charts and biblical numerology this morning, I will reveal to you the timing of the coming of Christ, because I don't want you to miss the sign. It's found in our text this morning, Mark chapter 13, four simple verses, verses 24 to 27 say this. 
But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of the heaven. The destruction of the temple. Severe difficulties in this life. And as we long for redemption, so also humanity longs for deliverance. They long for someone on a white horse with a big white hat or a, or, or a blue suit and a red cape. How else can they do... How, how else can they do sp- four Spider-Man movies in like a decade and they sell millions of them. Tickets, I mean. They're longing for it. Verse 21 and 22, Jesus had said there will be false messiahs, false would-be heroes who show up to promise that. Sure, some of them will be accompanied by demonically empowered miraculous signs and wonders, but, but, but those signs are not supposed to be what we are looking for. Jesus has been telling his disciples, I want you, I want you to long for my return. When you see the road signs along the way, they're designed to make you long for my coming. But don't be deceived. Don't be misled by so-called false Christs and false prophets. If anyone says to you, behold, here is Christ, or behold, he is there, don't, don't believe him. The bottom line is this, you, listen, you won't need anyone to tell you when Christ is returning, you will know and so will everyone else. Deny it all you want. He's coming and there's coming a day you'll know it, dead or alive. Now, can I encourage you just for a moment, my brothers and sisters, you say, you know, this passage makes me a little nervous. I don't want to be deceived. But, but, but what if I am? What if one of these guys shows up with lots of really cool miracles and signs? And what if I am deceived? What then? Verse 22 lays that issue to rest. In fact, the, 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 the verse tells us that one of the reasons these demonic false Christs arise is in order to mislead the elect. But notice the way that Jesus says it. They will arise and will show great wonder, signs and wonders in order to lead astray if possible, the elect. While that may be their purpose, the implication is it's not possible because Christ's sheep know his voice and they follow him. You need not worry about being deceived. You just need to look for the coming of the true Christ. You see, when he comes, we'll know it. He describes it in our text today. And frankly, first, he gives us the timing of the event in verse 24. You've been waiting. We are finally there for all of the prophecy mongers and end times prognosticators and sign watchers. I will now divulge the timing of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus says, it will be in those days after that tribulation. There's the time. But but, but, but wait, you said last week that that was the destruction of the temple. That's right. And we're still after that tribulation. We were last week and we will be next week. Stop to think about it. The only time that we could be sure that Jesus was not 
coming was before the destruction of the temple, a 40-year period or a generation. The disciples somehow missed that because that is ascension, which is from the very same Mount of Olives. They said, is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom? No, Jesus said. I told you from this very spot a few weeks ago that it wouldn't happen until after the destruction of the temple. There it is, still here. You, you should just be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the planet. I, I mentioned that too, by the way. This gospel must be preached uh, to all the nations, and then the end will come. You guys are just getting started. The timing of his return. Here it is. It's after the tribulation, after this particular tribulation, the fall of Jerusalem. Now, I know some are asking, will there be another great tribulation in the future after which he will come? Perhaps. I think perhaps so. But when he comes, here's the point of the text today. He doesn't mention it. He mentions, we'll know it. See, now he gives us some cosmic disturbances, a description that will take place at his coming. The sun's going to be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, what in the world does that mean? Are we to take this literally or figuratively? Lots of discussion about that. Lots of arguing about that. Honestly, frankly, I don't know. Jesus is clearly quoting Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34, which in the context talks about the fall of Babylon and, and Edom. Did, did this sun not shine? Did this, uh, uh, did this, and the moon not shine? Did the stars fall from the sky, literally? Or was it figurative to speak of the magnanimity of the event to happen? You decide. I can say this for sure. This is going to be an enormous event, and it will be clear to everyone what's happening. Now, some want to suggest, and I've been sharing this with you over the last few weeks, that just as Isaiah was talking about the fall of Babylon and and Edom in cataclysmic way. So also here, Jesus is talking about the fall of Jerusalem in similar cataclysmic ways. In other words, in verse, the verses, it's our text this morning, verses 24 to 27, is actually talking about the fall of Jerusalem and not the second coming. They, they point out, for example, that the, his coming on the clouds is actually a quote from Daniel chapter 7, true, which, which speaks of the Son of Man going to heaven, not coming to earth. So, so, so if this is your, if you're my preterist brothers and sisters out there, um, I want to say that's possible, plausible argument. But let me tell you briefly, well, I think he's actually talking about his return here. First, first of all, they asked about his return. He has to get to it at some point. First, Jesus says, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Here's my question. Who is they? Who, who's They? Clearly, the implication is those on earth. I think, I think all of those on earth, if you compare this text with Matthew chapter 24. The question is, if Jesus is talking about coming to heaven, who on earth saw that happen? And in what way does Jesus come to heaven at the destruction of the temple? If you want to say that he's coming to earth at the destruction of the temple... Fine, but that's not what Daniel said. Can't have it both ways. 
He came to heaven, you see, when he ascended 40 years before this. The second point I would make is the coming of the Son of Man throughout the New Testament consistently points to the return of Jesus from heaven to earth, not the other way around. All that to say, I think, and many scholars think, that Jesus is talking about his return to earth, separated from the destruction of Jerusalem, second coming, separated by obviously a couple thousand years at least now. So, I think here, Jesus is giving us a description of his return. He gives a further description in verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This coming in or, or uh, in or on clouds is, a, is indeed a quote of Daniel chapter 7. Let me read it to you. I, Daniel, kept looking in the night visions, and behold, w- with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming, and he came to the Ancient of Days, that is heaven, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This came to be a well-recognized messianic prophecy. And here's the point I want you to get. Jesus applies it to himself. I am the Son of Man of whom Daniel spoke, and the Father, that is the Ancient of Days, is going to give me an everlasting dominion, a glorious kingdom, which will never pass away. Hallelujah. Now, at this point, you look at a parallel passage, because Matthew adds, in this same verse, adds that they will see the sign of the Son of Man, which will appear in the sky. What is this sign of the Son of Man? Some early church fathers, like Origen, Chrysostom, thought it would be a blazing cross spread across the sky. Maybe, have no idea. But what I do know is this, and I want you to get this. When the sign appears and when Jesus comes on the clouds with power and great glory, no one will miss that sign. There will be no misreading or misrepresenting that sign. Everybody's going to know. See, I don't believe it. You're going to know. Dismiss it all you want. comes to this, unlike his first coming when almost everyone missed the signs, unlike the roadsides along the way throughout the church age when many miss the signs or choose to ignore the signs, no one will miss this one. When Jesus comes back, there will be no guessing. Everyone will know exactly what's going on. I don't know how. All I know is everyone will know. I just hope I'm alive to see it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Today would be just fine. You pray that? God did too much of my life. Do you pray that? He will come on the clouds with power, great glory, unlike the first time when he came as a lowly carpenter's son, a Galilean from the lowly Jewish nation which found itself under Roman oppression. This time he will come with power, great glory. The first time his glory was veiled, hid from human eyes. Philippians 2 speaks of him emptying himself, 
voluntarily limiting the display of his glory, clothing himself in human flesh, coming as a man, less than that, as a bondservant. But now God will highly exalt him, give him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. The first time, most miss the signs. Make no mistake about it. The second time, no one will miss the sign, and they will be bowing to their knees. Listen to the Apostle John as he describes the second coming in Revelation 19. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and, his name, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. I think he's going to tell us that name in just a second. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh. This is the name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Does that sound a little different than the first time? No one will miss it. Notice, when the sign appears, there will be two responses, if you will, two positions in relation to His coming, which bring us to our conclusion. The first is seen in the parallel passage in Matthew 24. We see here that all of the tribes or nations of the earth will mourn, weep, if you will, for they will see and understand the coming of the Son of Man. There's a reference to Zechariah chapter 12, which says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the habits of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. See, when he comes, the first response of many people, today billions of people, because they're going to know it, their first response will be mourning, will be weeping. Revelation 1 says it this way, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. You say, but wait a minute. I didn't pierce Him. I didn't, I didn't crucify Him. Yes, you did. By your rebellion and by your sin, You are just as guilty as the hands that drove the nails into his hands and his feet. The good news is he died for sinners so that you could be forgiven, redeemed, and reconciled to God. Unless you dismiss it. Listen to me clearly. The morning here is a Mourning or a weeping of missed opportunity. They will know. Many will have heard the truth, rejected the truth, and they will mourn. They, they will know in a moment that they have chosen to live in rebellion to the Creator. They will know. See, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will you accept Him now? as Savior and Lord, or will you only 
bend the knee later when forced. Make no mistake about it. Bow you will. If you wait until later, you will mourn because of missed opportunities, maybe even this opportunity. My urgent encouragement to you today, if you have never accepted Christ, if you've rejected Christ, is to receive him while it is your choice so that when he comes, you will not mourn, but you will rejoice. Even so, come quickly. Because that's the second response found in verse 27 of Mark 13, our text. It's a response of joy. Because when he comes, he will send out his angels and the the elect, those chosen, will be gathered from every corner of the earth and even even heaven. His point is, is that no one will be overlooked. No one will be missed. No one will be missing. He will gather all of his elect, every last one of them. The waiting will be over. The bride of Christ will be assembled. The kingdom will be established in his fullness. Hallelujah. Paul described this event in a couple of different, very familiar passages to us. 1 Corinthians 15. We normally read only at funerals or on Easter, but listen to it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, every one of us, dead or alive. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Incredible. 1 Thessalonians 4, we read these words, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds who, to meet the Lord in the air who just came in the clouds. And so shall we always be with the Lord. We will not miss the sign. When is Jesus coming? At the end of the age. What sign should we be looking for? This one. And we will know it. And so will everyone else. There will be no mistaking it. Every eye will see him. And if we are alive when he comes, we will also hear the trumpet call of God and we will be gathered to meet him in the air. My encouragement as we close today is to be prepared for you here today who have never given your lives to Jesus Christ I urge you more than that. I beg you to do so. I'm pleading with you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, Son of God, who came to die for your sins. You've heard the truth. Do not wait till the sign appears in the sky, for then it will be too late, and you will be as one who mourns. For those of you who do know him, be prepared. Long for his coming. Look for his appearing. Please do not be distracted, so easily distracted by the things of this life like Seinfeld reruns. Look for his appearing. It is our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stand for prayer.
Father, could it be, would it, would it be? Would you please send your son to retrieve his bride today? Father, we long for your return. We live in a planet that is increasingly dark, is increasingly broken, and that the brokenness calls for us to take our eyes off the things of this earth and look heavenward and long for the appearing of our Savior. Jesus, would you please come quickly? Redeem your broken people. We long to hear the trumpet. We long to be changed and to be shed of these earthly broken bodies that, to be honest, fail us. If we were honest, fail us too often, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally, relationally, morally. We're tired. We're tired of failing. Thank you for the presence of your Spirit by whom we can live following after you, but we long for the full redemption that has been promised. Yes, we know it's been a couple thousand years, but we still cling fastly, fastidiously, faithfully to the promise of Christ's return. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.